All right, my beloved Orangewood, as you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles, we got 2 Corinthians we've been going through, but also, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 34. Uh, Today, as we continue our study in God's Word, uh, this amazing letter of 2 Corinthians, and we see the power of weakness, uh, Paul is going to talk about a part of the big story, and so we're going to be in both Exodus 34 today, as well as 2 Corinthians 3. Uh, Love seeing you all pass the peace of Christ. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, uh, the word shalom was so rich, it meant peace, uh, peace with God, peace with one another. Uh, I have some wonderful Jewish neighbors and ran into them yesterday at Lowe's. And every time I see them, it's a pleasure to say, hey, shalom. Um, But what an incredible joy uh, to say to you all, hey, peace as well. And isn't it wonderful we live in a country where we can celebrate peace? Uh, Memorial Day weekend, we're reminded of the men and women who uh, have served us uh, as they have uh, kept our freedom for us so we can do just what we're doing now. So we're going to take a moment as we begin and let's ask all those, the men and women who have served in any capacity uh, in the uh, forces to help preserve our peace I know we got some World War II veterans here and all the way through. So for if you are a veteran, would you please stand so we can say thank you for the peace we have uh, here to worship. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. I want to call your attention in the bulletin. You'll find an invitation uh, to uh, my beloved Orangewood family, an invitation of a wedding that's taking place uh, Friday night, June 8th. Uh, Katie and I have the privilege of uh, announcing the marriage of our daughter, our wonderful beloved daughter, Jessie. She is marrying Mr. Todd Fleming, uh, one of the eight children of the Fleming uh, gang of Gay and Doug Fleming. So if this isn't an Orangewood marriage, I don't know. Let me tell you, I mean, these kids have known each other. Uh, They've gone to school together since K-4, all the way through college. And uh, now they love Jesus. They're going to come together and celebrate. Uh, So come join us. Uh, Go figure my daughter wanted to get married with a center aisle and not in a gym. Wrong with this place. So I said, absolutely, Jesse, that'd be awesome. So uh, the good folks over at First Pres, uh, sorry, First Methodist Winter Park on Interlochen have opened up their facility to us. So it's four o'clock. Uh, we would love to have you. People are saying, Jeff, are you ready? Are you ready to walk down the aisle with your daughter wearing a wedding dress and a wedding veil? Wow. I tell you, I am thrilled that the fact that my daughter is going to be at the end of the aisle of a man who loves her and loves Jesus. But am I ready? Am I ready for a wedding dress? Am I wedding for a wedding veil? Because the removal of the wedding veil, you know, it changes everything. And it's supposed to. I mean, God gave us this amazing institution of marriage, and it's more than just some civil thing that we do. It really, in God's sight, in heaven's sight, uh, it, it changes everything. When that veil is removed, there's a change of headship. There'll be a change of headship from me to Todd. Uh, There's a a change of identity from Jake's to Fleming. It's a change of authority. Everything changes with the removal 
of a veil. Do you know that the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that Jesus has removed a veil, a veil that existed over stony, cold hearts of unbelief, that the veil that existed between a holy God who is and sinners like us, that through Jesus's life, uh, through Jesus's death, through Jesus's resurrection, this veil that has existed between God and sinners, holiness and sinful has been shredded apart. And there's such good news because through the removal of this veil, everything changes. I mean, there's a change of name. There's a change of identity. There's a, there's a change of status. I mean, this good news of Jesus Christ, this veil being removed, it says those who are dead are made alive. Those who were once children of wrath are made children of the king. I mean, those who once could do nothing right on their own are given riches in Christ. What an amazing change that takes place when the veil is removed. As we continue our study in 2 Corinthians, Paul is going to talk about that veil. He's going to talk about a veil that exists, about a veil that still remains for those who, who don't believe. He's going to mention to us that only through believing by God's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ can that veil be removed. But there's such an amazing news for all of us that God's grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that as that veil is removed in our lives, brand new identity in him. We have boldness, boldness to go before God. Not, not only boldness, we have freedom, freedom to live. Uh, not only boldness and, and freedom, we're transformed to be like Jesus. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus 34, because when we get to 1 Corinthians 13, really what Paul is talking about is what was happening back in Exodus 34. Let me set the scene a little bit for you uh, so we can pick up the story and understand it. Uh, God has graciously come to his people. Uh, he has uh, taken them from slavery uh, he has uh, uh, passed them through uh, the Red Sea. Uh, amazing Passover has taken place. He is with them uh, every day with a pillar of, of cloud of fire and a pillar um, at night. And uh, he is loving them and he's giving them his word. He's with them. He's providing for them. I mean, man, they wake up in the morning. There's stuff on the ground called, what is it, manna that they're eating. And God is providing water out of like rocks. But do you know what happens with God's people? No, I'm sure it's not us. God's people are, tend to be knuckleheads. You know that, right? We, we tend to be a bit hard-hearted. I mean, even when God feeds us with like stuff every day and provides for all of our needs, even when God is with us, we still have a tendency to rebel. It's incredible. It happened to God's people when they were in the desert. God called Moses. He said, come on up here, Moses. I'm going to give you a law, a law of love, a law to give to uh, my people to tell them how to live. I'm going to give them these commandments written on stone. And while he's up there with God, I mean, some amazing things were happening, but some really bad things were happening back at the camp. Back at the camp, he said, well, I can't find Moses. Uh, I guess he's out of the picture. Let's, let's make our own God. Uh, let's take the priest Aaron and let's uh, have Aaron make us a God. We'll call this our God. Can you imagine doing that? Man, I make a God out of about anything in my life. God was angry because you know God is holy. That's who God's character is. God, God, listen, because God is holy and because he's righteous, his character, it must burn against sin. It has to. You can't have a holy God 
And you can't have a holy God that sees sinful things and winks at it. So he said to Moses, he says, I'm going to wipe them out, Moses. I'll love you, but I'm going to wipe them out. Moses uh, really, in a lot of ways, is a Christ-like figure. He intercedes for the people like Jesus does. And he begs and says, God, don't wipe them out. Do you know what kind of reputation you're going to get when people hear that you took them out of Egypt, you did all those cool things through plagues, you crossed the Red Sea, and all you want to do is wipe them out in the desert? Don't do it, please. God says, all right, I'll tell you what, I'll go. But you got to have a meeting away from the people. And you got to have a separate meeting that you and I can talk face-to-face, attentive meetings. And I want you to come and meet with me there. And when I'm there meeting with you, everybody's going to see that we're together. Because amazing, you know what Scripture says about Moses? This guy talked to God face-to-face. And you know what's amazing about Moses? Scripture says he was a friend of God. Now, just hit pause and say, I can't, I, I, this is coming in the sermon, but i got to tell you this now. In Christ Jesus, you and I could be friends of God too. In Christ Jesus, he could talk with us face to face. So this is what's happening. Uh, Moses has gotten a second uh, set of commandments. He's come down the mountain, and we're going to pick up God's holy word in Exodus 34, verses 29 through the end of the chapter. But no matter if we're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, all God's word never lead us astray. We can trust it originally without any errors. And it's one story. I hope that as we preach through God's word and we pull things from the Old Testament and the New Testament, I hope that you're just amazed to say, man, there's one story of God, a God who loves and a God who saves, even you here today. So let's, let's look at uh, Exodus 34, verses 29 through 35. When Moses came down uh, Mount Sinai, carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, He wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over and he talked with them. Then all the people of Israel approached him and Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him. And the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. So he put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. Let's turn now to 2 Corinthians 3. Verses 7 through 18. Paul writes with Exodus 34 in his mind, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the old way with laws etched in stone led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which truly makes us right with God? It's the gospel way, by the way. In fact, the first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which remains forever? 
Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. To this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they can't understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And now the Lord, and the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, what incredible good news we have just read. Incredible good news that through the work of your son, Jesus, the veil that exists between a holy God and sinful people has been torn away, torn into. Father, we thank you for the amazing transformation that could be ours in Christ Jesus. And God, I know that this is good news that every single one of us has to hear. This is good news that every single one of us has to embrace. And I also know it clearly says that there's a veil that that remains over certain hearts that, that don't believe. So God, we would ask for your glory and and for the health of your church that you, God, who our spirit would send the Holy Spirit with such power through such a broken vessel like me to bring transformation so that each one of us here today, from maybe someone who's, this is so new, to someone who's been here for so long, can be transformed to be more like your son, Jesus, today. Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And the things that I say are wrong or the things that I say are just my opinion. May they fall away and be forgotten. May we see Jesus and may we see him clearly. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Paul is telling us here of this unveiling power of the gospel. It's an, an amazing power that, that God uses to transform knuckleheads like you and me to become more and more glorious and more and more beautiful, to become more and more radiant like Jesus, his son. It says this, it says in the old covenant, the old way, it really was a shadow of things to come. I mean, Moses was just kind of pointing to what was going to come in the good news of Jesus Christ and Jesus himself. It says that the uh, gospel is so much better because the glory of God doesn't fade away like it did with Moses. But there was something about that veil. Why, why did God say to Moses or why did Moses wear a veil when he interacted with God's people? What was up with that? Let me tell you what it meant. It meant two things. First of all, it meant the fact that it was a veil from God's wrath. It was a veil away from God's people. It was a veil to really say between sinful people and a holy God 
there needed to be a veil. Remember when Moses came down from the mountain and he came and his face was all aglow? Hey, what did God's people do? Did God's people say, hey, rejoice. Look at our leader, our leader, Moses. Wow, he reflects the glory of God. This is such good news. He must have something for us to learn. We must follow Moses. Look at that. God has been with Moses and we can see God all over Moses. It's radiating out of every pore. So we should rejoice. What did God's people do? It said, they were afraid. They were terrified. Why? Why would God's people be terrified in God's presence? Why would God's people be afraid of the glory of God seen in the face of their leader? It's because of the wrath of God. Because they knew they were sinful. And they knew that God was holy. And they knew that something had to separate them from a holy God. So that veil was a reminder that God, listen, that veil was God's grace to say, you could be in my presence. You could be in the presence of Moses and I'm not gonna consume you because there's a veil that's there. That veil was also there. It's interesting, Paul says there's another reason. That veil was there because the glory was fading away. I mean, that, that, that first covenant given in stone really just reminded us that we're sinners, really brought death and really says, please, Lord, send a better covenant. Send another one. Send us Jesus. Send us one who will fulfill all the things that we're supposed to do. Please, because this one's fading away. In Jesus's uh, life, there's an amazing uh, account of what happened at the end of his life in the Gospels, like Matthew 27. Matthew 27 reminds us is that when Jesus died on the cross, all of history changed. When Jesus died on the cross, not only did all of history change, but all of heaven had a, had a shift. And, and more than that, there was an amazing change that took place in the temple. Stick with me. There was an amazing play, change that took place in the temple when Jesus breathed his last on the cross. Because in the temple, there was a veil that was torn from top to bottom. What was a veil doing and what was the purpose? We see in the temple, there was one place that God said was the holy of holies. There's one place that God says, I'm gonna put my presence and I am going to be there. And it's so holy and I'm such uh, consumed with holiness that no one can come here except for one man, the high priest, one time a year. You can only come into my presence one time, one man, one time a year to make an atonement for sins. There had to be a veil between a holy God and sinful people. And I'll tell you what, it was so holy that they tied a rope to the guy they sent in. <laughs> like, man, if you go in God's presence, we're going we're gonna to put a rope on you. We're going to put some bells on you in case you fall dead before God will drag you out. That's a veil that exists because they knew the holiness of God. But something amazing happened on the day Jesus died. Something amazing is that veil was torn from top to bottom. Why? Because a holy God who absolutely has to burn a righteous anger for sin took all of his righteous anger for every one of your sins. Listen, the sins that you would never want to confess up here, the sins, those little teeny sins, all of the sins that deserve God's full wrath, God, the Father, the Holy One, put on his spotless son, Jesus, and he burned his wrath into him. There's such good news. 
He burned his wrath into Jesus on the cross for your sin and my sin. So what? So that he could just overwhelm us with his grace, overwhelm us with his love. That now here's the reality. God's not angry. God's not ticked at you. God is not up there burning his anger for your sin if you are in Christ Jesus. He can't do it. It would be double jeopardy on his part. He can't. You see, God took all of that which we deserve that should separate us from him and he poured it all out on Jesus so that the veil was torn in two. So that all of a sudden, everything changes. And now we have access to God. We have access to God in his glory and access that will not fade away, that is forever and for eternal. Amazing that sinners like you and me, anytime, anywhere, now have access to God because of what he has done in Christ Jesus. You see, Moses had the privilege of, of being so close to God that he reflected God's glory. When, when people saw the glory of God in Moses, they said, that man's been with God. We can clearly see it. And now it's just not one person, one time. All of us have access to God. All of us are to spend time with God. All of us are to reflect his glory because the veil has been torn and the gospel never fades away. It gives us three things. We want to follow along the bulletin. It should be not only the gospel has completely changed everything of how we relate to God. It unveils boldness. Let's look again at verse 12. Because of what Christ has done, since the new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. I want to tell you, you can be very bold in two ways. You can be very bold in the way you talk to God. And you can be very bold in the way you talk for God. Let's start off with very bold in the way you talk to God. Because of Christ Jesus' work on our behalf, you and I, listen to this, my brothers and sisters, you and I now have access to God. We could go to God anytime, anywhere, for any reason. Do you know that? We could go to God anytime, anywhere, for any reason because of what Christ has done for us. Did you listen to the song before the throne of grace, before the throne of God? Isn't that awesome? I love that. It says this, it says that, that the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he has written our names on his nail-pierced hands. He has engraven our names on his heart. And as long as Christ Jesus stands in heaven, as long as Christ who died for us represents us, you ready for this? There is not one tongue ever that will ever be able to say, get out of God's presence In Christ Jesus, we belong. In Christ Jesus, we are home. In Christ Jesus, we have access. Do you know it? You know the world won't tell you you don't. I'm telling you, there's an enemy right now that hates you and hates the reality of what God has done for you in Christ. And right now, I'm telling you, an enemy wants to whisper in your ear and say, you're not worthy. You're not worthy to go. You're not worthy to ask. God doesn't really care about that. Why should you go? Why should God care about you? I'm telling you, by God's grace, in Christ Jesus, you go boldly because you're ready for this. We belong. We belong there. It's unbelievable what God has done for us. And we now, as his children, boldly can go. Let's see what Scripture says to us. Hebrews 4.16. So let us come boldly to the throne of the gracious God. How amazing. Come. Come boldly. Come as you are. 
I mean, come right now. I mean, don't try to clean up and come. Just come. Come boldly to the throne of God. There he, uh, there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it. Isn't it amazing? God says this, not only am I gonna allow you to come and come anytime just as you are, anywhere, any place, but listen to this. When you come, I'm not gonna slap you in the back of the head. When you come, I'm not gonna sit you down and give you a lecture. When you come, I'm not gonna say, hmm, can't believe it. Took you this long to get here. When you come, he says, I'm gonna give you mercy. I'm gonna give you grace. I'm gonna give you my presence. My son Jesus really was good enough. His sacrifice really did work. And when you come anytime, anywhere, any place with any need, grace, mercy, relationship, come boldly. Hebrews 10, 19 says this, and so dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. We have access to everything. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. Boldness to speak to God. But we also have boldness to speak for God. As we study through 2 Corinthians, we've realized that in Christ Jesus, we are the aroma of Christ, that our lives should be filled with the presence of Christ so much that we smell like Jesus. Scripture says that to some, it's gonna smell like death. To some, it's gonna smell like life. But that's the aroma of Christ that we are to give out. Last week, we learned that we're supposed to be a letter from Christ, that God wants to use your life, my life. Amazing, he does, to tell his story. And God wants us to speak boldly for Christ, to reflect who he is. I don't know why, but it's true. God wants to tell his love story through you, through me. But again, an enemy wants to say, you're not good enough. Don't speak for God. You might mess it up. You know, don't speak for God. You might get this verses wrong or, or you might get the story a little bit tweaked wrong. Or Don't speak for God because there's someone out there that's smarter than you and he might be able to shoot you down and then you'll really be disgraced to God. Don't speak. Don't let your life speak. Don't let your words speak. Don't speak. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God has rescued you if you are his child to tell his story and what you have is enough right now to tell his story and speak for him. If you have the Holy Spirit, if you've been washed in his blood, you have enough, say it. I mean, if all your story is, I can't get over how God loves a sinner like me. I can't believe that God has forgiven me. I mean, you know, that, that preaches, that sings. God has given you the gospel of Jesus Christ to boldly come to his presence and boldly speak his story. You know, this is one of my favorite verses. When you leave here, you'll see this on the wall. For we are Christ's ambassadors and God is using us to speak to the world. We urge you, therefore, uh, as Christ was urging you himself, be reconciled to God. You know, God is saying, what I wanna do is tell, show the world who I am boldly through you. Live a gospel-soaked life. What does that mean? What does a gospel-soaked life mean? Just remember whose you are. Remember who your identity is. Remember that the blood of Christ really is strong and powerful enough to usher you into God's presence. Remember that you're robed in Christ's righteousness. Remember before God's eyes, ultimately your identity is Jesus. Live a gospel-soaked life. Let that be your identity. Let that be your joy. Let that be your reality. Live a spirit-filled life. Say, Jesus, uh, great news of Jesus Christ. Now, may the Holy Spirit inside of me produce fruit of the Spirit. 
And as you do, you will boldly speak God's story. Okay, the unveiling uh, power of boldness, unveiling freedom as well in verse 17. It says, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This amazing gospel freedom. This weekend, uh, for Americans, we celebrate freedom. We remember the cost of freedom, the gift of freedom. Every Sunday, we remember the gospel given freedom and the cost of Christ. What do we have freedom from or to? Three things. We have freedom from the curse of not living as God intended. What does that mean? Freedom from the past. We, listen, the good news of the gospel is, is we truly have liberty and freedom from those things that should haunt us. We have freedom from the sin that really should separate us from God and drive us into hell. We have freedom. Why? It's been nailed to the cross. God's no longer angry. Listen, I don't know what you've done, how you've done it, where you've done it, how many times you've done it. If you are a child of the king, if you are the child of the king, God's wrath is not poured out against you today. It doesn't haunt God. It doesn't haunt God God at all. He has forgiven us. We're free. Are you kidding me? We're free from our past. Really, in Christ Jesus, the U-Haul trailer of our sins have been unhitched. But there's more. We're free to live as God intended. Doesn't mean we're free to do whatever we want. We're free to live as God made us to live. As God created us to live, we are free to live as God intends for us to live, holy, blameless. Romans 7, 6 says this, but now we have been released from the law for we died with Christ. We're no longer captive to its power. Now we can really serve God, not in the old way by obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way by the Spirit. We are now free to live our lives pleasing to God, acceptable to God. Galatians 5, 1 and then 13 says this, so Christ has really set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. Don't get tied up again in slavery to religion and the law. For you have been called to live in freedom, not freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, but freedom to serve one another in love. The whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, in the gospel, there's amazing freedom. Freedom from your past. Freedom to live as God has intended. You ready for this? Freedom to be you. Freedom to be you. Whoever you are, however God has made you, and he made some of you pretty darn unique. Whoever you are and however God has made you, you are free to be you. You don't have to live behind a mask. You don't have to pretend to be anybody other than you. All you got to do is live your life in love with Jesus and free and take off a mask. Because if you live your life behind a mask, guess what? Only the mask gets loved, right? You have the power and the ability, according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be all that God has intended you to be. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to just try harder. Be you in love with Jesus and watch what he does. It's an amazing, powerful thing free to be you. But you know, the world will say, oh, you Christians, you're hypocrites. You Christians, you should be living lives this way or that way. And and what they are trying to do is say, live your life behind a mask. Fake it till you make it. It's bull. Proclaim the reality of what Christ has done for you. Live in the reality of what he's done. There's freedom there. Be you. 
in love with Jesus, and everything will change. The unveiling transformation is the last thing. You see, the gospel brings transformation, and that's what it's all about. The transforming power of the gospel is that God wants to make us, guess what, more like Jesus. C.S. Lewis said this in Mere Christianity, and I'm summarizing. He says, basically, the whole point of the gospel, the whole point that God would send his son to come rescue us is to make little Christ. It's to make little Jesuses that we are to be made like him. That is the whole point. 1 John 3.1 tells us that God has lavished love on us, that we should be called and we are the children of God. And it says, it hasn't revealed to us what we are going to be like, but when we see Jesus, you ready this? We're going to be like him. We're going to be like him. Moses, a godly man on a godly hill with the face of God, talking to God face to face, comes down with a face radiant of God's glory. But let me tell you about one who's greater than Moses. There's one who's greater than Moses, Deuteronomy 18 promise, a prophet that's better because this prophet doesn't doesn't just speak face to face to God. This prophet named Jesus speaks as God. And this holy man goes to a holy mountain and he doesn't have just his face transformed. He has his whole body transformed. It's amazing on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17. And three of his best friends beheld the glory of God. And Moses showed up. And Elijah showed up. But there was only one who from head to toe radiated God's glory. And it was amazing. And I tell you, a voice from heaven came out and said, that's my son. That's my beloved. Who you need to listen to is that but you know what God did? He showed you a picture of who you're going to be. He showed you a picture of who you're going to be. You're going to be made like Jesus. Glorious, radiant, beautiful. It's coming. He started the good work. He's going to finish. It's coming. And you're going to be just like him. It's going to be amazing. You see, why does God transform us to be more and more like Jesus? Because it's been God's plan all along to transform the whole world through us to look like Jesus. To thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The more that we turn our faces to Jesus, the more we let the sun, S-O-N, reflect into our faces, our souls, and the lives. The more we are transformed to think like he thinks, the mind of Christ, act like he acts through the love of God and the spirit. To be like him, the more we will transform the world around us. And that's always been God's game. It's been always the deal. The power of Jesus Christ in the gospel to bring transformation of all things. You know, weddings do change everything. They do. And a wedding has taken place. Christ is the groom and we are the bride. Christ has removed the veil and he's united us to himself. And now as a bride, we are his and the transformation has begun. My birthday girl, Katie, and I are about to celebrate. Yep, today's her birthday. Happy birthday, Katie. <laughs> Katie and I are about to celebrate. Don't look at her because it embarrasses her. All right, Katie and I are about to celebrate our 25th anniversary. Yes. Yay, thank you. You know, they say that the more that you live together as husband and wife, the more you look alike. I'm hoping in my case that's true for me. I'd love to look more like her. The more you live together, the more the two become one, the more you look alike. 
You know, a marriage took place, and the more you spend time with Jesus, the more you look like him. The more times you walk with him, the more you look like him. And that's the whole point, and that's the whole goal, is should we be more and more like him? You know, I thought I could make it home. I thought I could make it home with what we had. I really did. I thought we could make it home. You see, it was last Sunday that I left here and I left and went up to Tallahassee to visit my sister who's battling uh, round two of cancer. Many of you have been praying. Thank you very much. Uh, so far, reports are good. We're still battling. Uh, so Katie and I went up to spend time with family and uh, on Sunday, spent the night, had my day off up there on Monday in Tallahassee and had to get back. A lot of busy week, a lot of things going on. So when we left uh, Monday night after dinner, I-, I thought I could make it home on what I had. I looked at the gas gauge. I'm good at these things. I know how far it goes. I know how far I got to go. I know what time I'm going to get there. I'm good at these things. So we head home. I'm sure I got enough to make it home from here. Matter of fact, we got really close. We did the I-10. We did the 75. Uh, We're merging onto the Florida Turnpike. And we're coming up to that that last exit, you know, Wildwood exit. And I kind of do that. hit my little thing that tells me how many miles to empty. About 43 or so. I can make it home from here. It's actually a small conversation. A conversation takes place with Katie and me, knowing we're coming by a gas station, and we're making good time. I tell you, we're making good time, and I know we can make it home with what we got. And so she says, she read a sign that says, hey, there's not a gas station for the next 40-some-odd miles. I can make it home from here. So we blow by it, go through the 250 toll change somewhere around Claremont. I'm in the fast lane, 79. They won't pull you over. 79 on cruise control. I'm doing pretty good. All of a sudden, boom, I can feel the car shake. And I kind of jerked. And Casey said, what's wrong? Said, oh, nothing. <laughs> Turn the right blinker on. I'm in the middle lane. I'm in the right lane. I'm in the lane that goes. Right in front of a call box. Have you ever used a call box? You know, call box, really not a good name. You're not calling. You're just pushing buttons. You open the thing up. Uh, you know, tow, gas, ink. Did it work? Mile marker 28.3. You know those fine folks from State Farm that send that little truck there? They stop at 11. It's 11.30. I thought I had enough to make it home. I didn't. My blessed wife had every reason to just start the lecture. Every reason. And she didn't. She just loved me. Good news, for a mere $86, someone's going to come give you two gallons of gas. <laughs> 86 bucks, you get two gallons of gas. It's awesome stuff. And listen, my daughter's getting married. I got all kinds of extra money laying around, you know? And the fine fellow that he told me I woke him up, thank you very much, and charged me $86. And by the way, the only card I gave him, the only thing I have on my name that has Reverend is my, my card. And so it has Reverend. It's kind of funny. I kind of like it. So I gave him the card, and it says Reverend Jake's on it. And I said, you know, 86 bucks, sir? Shouldn't you really take me to dinner and get me a few drinks? <laughs> he didn't think it was very funny. I thought I could get it home with enough strength. I didn't need to stop. I think there's a lot of you 
to feel like that what you have right now, you got enough tank, you got enough to make it home. And God is saying, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to frequently pull over. I want you to frequently stop and I want you to fill up. And I want you to fill up with me in my presence. I want you to turn your face fully toward me. I know the RPMs of your life are really fast and I know there's a lot of stuff you gotta do, but you know what? Quit going so fast and quit blowing by the stops and quit thinking you got enough. And I want, listen, what I've done for you is to say you can boldly come anytime. Anytime you can pull over, anytime. And you can always fill up and I'm always there for you. So quit it, pull over, pull your life into my presence. Be with me and watch me transform you. And watch me transform you to be more like Jesus and then watch me transform the world through you. Let us pray. Father, it's, it's, it's too good a news. Is it really true that you would love us enough to remove the veil that should exist between a holy God and a sinner like us, sinners like us? Is it really true that Jesus' blood was powerful enough to make us holy and righteous in your sight? God, I thank you for the wedding that's taken place already that's changed everything. And Father, I thank you that we now have unlimited access boldly to you. And for some reason you want to have us speak boldly for you. Father, I thank you for the amazing freedom. And I, God, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know the freedom of being loved by you in Christ Jesus, that today would be the day, like today, like this moment, each and every one of us will lean in and say, thank you that my past is covered. Thank you that my present has meaning. And thank you for the freedom knowing that I'm gonna be like Jesus. Father, we ask that every one of us would experience by your grace and belief in Jesus that freedom. And Father, I pray for this church that you transform us you transform every one of us to be little Christ, as C.S. Lewis would say. You transform us that our faces would radiate your glory. And that as you transform us, you transform our worlds for your glory. Father, cause us to stop frequently and fill up and remind ourselves of this great blessing that we have in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you as we give our tithes and offerings. We thank you for the fact that you choose to use them to advance Christ's kingdom. Would you do that for your glory? Father, we thank you for the freedom that is ours that the men and women have, have secured for us in the armed forces. Bless them mightily. But God, most importantly, today and every day, we thank you for Jesus because it's in him the veil's removed and we have life, freedom, and grace. Continue to bless, we pray, for your glory. Amen.